Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Jack Mason and Jason Egan from Pappas Brothers Steakhouse coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. He is a frequent traveler and a passionate advocate for the Houston food scene. Matt Harris, welcome back to the show. How are you? Daddy, doing well. Got some new digs here. Yeah, this is you're letting people in behind the curtain that we're not in the usual studio that we are in. I don't think the audience cares one way or the other, to be perfectly honest with you. As they shouldn't. Right. Let us dive right into the news of the week. <laughs> Himalaya and Hugo's are basking in the national spotlight. GQ critic Brett Martin named them to his list of America's new classic restaurants. It's a list of about 25 establishments that have been open for between 15 and 25 years. So that that rules out you know, restaurants that are really old, like Brennan's of Houston, 50 years old, Tony's 50 years old. And it doesn't include restaurants that are relatively new that have opened this decade. It puts those two establishments in some pretty serious company with Momofuku Noodle Bar in New York City, with Bouchon, Thomas Keller's Bakery Cafe. I don't know. You've, you've looked at the GQ list. What sort of jumped out at you? Uh, I just I felt like that... Uh... Uh, those were the two obvious choices. Uh, you know, I know that uh, Mr. Martin um, does good work and uh, um, puts in the, the time and the travel, and uh, I think he did a good job here. Yeah, he comes to Houston a lot, and he seems to really like Houston. Uh, I, I believe we have may even dine together incidentally at one time. <laughs> Accidentally, yes. Yeah, I think he was at Indigo the night that we were at Indigo last December. True story. But the the one thing about this that I think is so interesting is that Himalaya, Himalaya, however you want to say it, is I on this Himalaya. list. Himalaya. That's how Kaiser says it. That's probably how I should say it. Sorry to speak over you. No, Himal- no. Himalaya. Yeah. But I don't think two or three years ago, Himalaya would have been on a list like this. Um. Interesting. Uh, it it should have been. I, I think. I I I don't know. I I did was looking, uh, and at the sort of qualifications and trying to think of who else should have been considered. And and to be honest, these are the only two names that I came up with. Yeah, in Houston, because so much of that generation, say from the sort of the mid nineties to the first part of the the 2000s, most of those places are gone, right? I mean, like Marks or uh, I don't even know. Marks was, the, Marks was the first one that sort of that came off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess Reef maybe in a, in, a different, in a different culinary moment might have been in the mix for something like that. It's about, but it's maybe too new. It's only, yeah. you know, 10 or 12 years old. Right, right. Ibiza, maybe right around. Yeah, if it weren't about to close, yeah, that'd be about right. Yeah, Ibiza, I guess, would be the other one. I I I prefer to say Ibiza. Okay, we're gonna agree to disagree about that. It's fine. Um, but no, I just I I just think that it's it says something about the way that 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 Himalaya specifically has been sort of catapulted into the national consciousness through being on Anthony Bourdain's show, through being on. Andrews and Mern, Kaiser was a James Beard semifinalist last year. This is this is like one of those weird things where, you know, if the national media like or if the if the local media rather keeps like banging on the door for a place, eventually they're going to kick the son of a bitch in, and the national media finally will have to pay attention to it. Well, a, a little bit, and I, but I think part of that uh, uh, that national spotlight that's that's happened over the past couple of years has also been. Um, a because it's well deserved, uh, and to your point, it's also the local media that's that's 
saying, hey, guys, you need to check Himalaya out. Like, it's worthy of consideration. Uh, and I think it's great, and it's well-deserved to be on this list. And I think Hugo's is another one. Uh, it's uh, almost an institution. You know, it's they're a, a very large and uh, important restaurant group in Houston. And a um, little, little tip of the hat to Mr. Martin, uh, and I guess maybe even a little thank you. Yeah, I— Went back to Hugo's in the run-up to creating the list of Culture Maps Top 100 Houston Restaurants. And it's a place that I go to probably a couple of times a year just to kind of, you know, have a good meal, check in, see what it's going. And I just, it it is my favorite of the three Hugo, uh, three Hugo Ortega Mexican restaurants. Uh, I, I think that's fair. It, it's it's really complete. The service, the vibe, uh, you know, the uniforms that they have on, the decor. Uh, it just 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 is is really well done. Um, as are most of their places, or, or really all of their places. But Hugo's is, I think, a little unique. Yeah, I I think that there's maybe just a pride among the staff. Not that not that their other staffs don't have that, but that. There's just like an elevated sense of being kind of the original and kind of honoring the legacy of what Hugo and Ruben and Tracy established when they opened that place. True story. And then the other thing, and I don't I don't want to harp on this for more than a minute, but you ever gotten the car wash from the valets? Um do we are we counting down from sixty seconds? I need a I need a <laughs> clock here. Oh we we actually have a clock in we here. Have a clock Look at that. There. Um uh you know, I can't say definitively that I have, but I, got, I have seen the product of of their work and Yeah, I got I got tipped off about this recently. It's I think it's twenty bucks. Car comes out sparkling. They do an outstanding job. And you know, with, with the weather finally cooling off, they they have a really lovely, like secluded courtyard kind of patio which by the way is dog friendly. I mean, in nice weather, like give me, give me some tacos, give me a Hugo's margarita. You know, I'll sit on the patio. My car will come back clean. I, that's a, that's a really good afternoon in my book. Don't sleep on the flautas there. Noted. A little pro tip. Yeah. They're, All right. they're, they're very good. All right. Let's move on to topic number two. Austin's home slice pizza has plans to come to Houston. It's it's a little bit it's a little bit tricky. They have filed an LLC for a Houston location, but they have not signed a lease on a Houston location. So the exact where exactly and when big mystery at this point. Uh, Matt, you're a you you go to Austin from time to time. You uh you're a UT alum. Hook 'em. Where does Home Slice rank for you among pizza options in Austin? Um, it's up there. I mean, the landscape there, uh, similar to Houston, has changed quite a bit. Um, that uh, it's in the name, obviously, Home Slice. So you can get pizza by the slice. And uh, I feel like uh, last time I was in Austin, which was last year, uh, for a football game, we actually ended up at Home Slice. And and how was it? It does the job. Where would it rank for you? Better than Pizarro's? Not as good as Pizarro's? No, 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 no. Okay. Not not at that level? No, not at that level. And a different, I mean, the uh, I, I know that uh, they're doing New York style uh, at Pizarro's, which is delicious. Actually had, full disclosure here, back-to-back Pizarro's Friday night at the uh, New York style um, pepperoni and uh, then the Detroit on Saturday. Uh, Living their... your best life. <laughs> I was out, I was out West. I mean, and figured, you know, um, but uh, uh, it's very good. It, it reminds me a little bit of uh, love buzz, uh, which uh, I, I is for uh, pizza by the slice is, is very good. If, if you're looking for a late night spot in the Montrose area, I yeah, I like I like Love Buzz. I I like that atmosphere. I like what they're yep. doing. 
It's a kind of a classic New York pie. Yep. If, if home slice is that good or even maybe a little bit better, I'd be in on that. They also do a Sicilian style pie. Um, I know that it's very well thought of. It is. It's well regarded. There's typically a, a little bit of a crowd there. Um, so I, uh, I think that's, that's a good move. Uh, I, you know, again, Houston has really taken a big step forward in the pizza landscape, in my opinion. And, and the last, uh, three to five years, even more recently, Gypsy Poet, um, Love Buzz, um, get, and then, you know, Frank's the old tried and true Frank's downtown, downtown. Absolutely. Yeah. And now there's Southside Flying Pies also from Austin that just opened up. Uh, right there on navigation. Yes, on the east side. So. Yes, I had that recently. I like that. No, I I, uh, uh, I haven't uh, had a, a chance to visit the Houston location yet, but it's uh, it's it's on the to do list. Yeah, big oversized foldable slices. Right, which I'm I'm into. I'm into that. I, I'm 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 okay with that. I'm not. I mean, if there's one thing about me, it's that I'm not disagreeable. <laughs> All right. Topic number three. We uh, Finn Hall has lost another tenant. The downtown food hall it's location of Mala Sichuan is no more. I, I Again, I don't know that there's a whole lot to say about this other than that it is the nature of food halls that the tenants are going to turn over. I think it's a little bit surprising for a restaurant of Mala's reputation and uh, quality maybe to have bounced out of there in less than a year, but uh, I don't know. You have you have thoughts? And I'm, I'm, I'm there's some facial contortions going on here again. A little little behind the scenes look. Uh, sure, turnover. I get turnover at this rate to me is seems seems to be uh, some some warning signs. Yeah, I, I have not. I mean, I continue to. Finn Hall has a has a good location right there on Main Street, right at the intersection of the two rail lines. It's in the middle of the Central Business District. It, I get it as a lunchtime destination for downtown office workers. I even kind of get it as a pregame option before, say, Astros or Dynamos or even Rockets games. As an evening destination, as a dinner destination, I'm not quite sure I understand it. And every time I go there, I just think like I'm paying 20, 25% more than I feel like I should. And I had lunch there back in, oh, earlier this summer. And I went to Yong, the Korean restaurant. Two rice bowls and an order of egg rolls were $40 before the tip. Then you got to, if you want a beer or a cocktail, you got to get that from the bar. That adds another $10, $15, depending on what you get. That's a tough sell for lunch. I mean, that adds up real fast. Lunch for two. It, it sounds like it adds up to more than $40. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to have a, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't typically have $50 lunches for two. No, uh, a similar experience. Um, you know, you, you feel for the vendors. There's, you know, part of the, I guess, the structure of of the food hall is, yeah, it, that's tough. I mean, they are in a prime location, um, and that's uh, that costs money. Um, we uh, we we went there. Uh, the only non, I get well, this is actually lunch, but it was weekend lunch went before a show downtown um, and not, not, not a dissimilar experience. Yeah. I think that's kind of the state of Finn Hall where I, I, I appreciate what they're trying to do. I'm not quite sure it's for me. And I think I would rather from a, from a culinary perspective, I think of the three that are open downtown right now, I think Bravery Chef Hall, or four rather, I think Bravery Chef Hall is kind of my, going to be my go-to at least for food. I think so. Um, at the same time, I think they'll also get it figured out. Um, you know, there's there's too much of a, 
too much foot traffic downtown, um, and it just maybe it's a little bit of fine tuning. Um, I mean, are they? I, they when, when is their year anniversary? Comes up in uh, November, December. Yeah. So yeah, you know. Yeah, some, some growing pains. Expected. Some growing pains. Yep. And then it it really it it was. I know conservatory's been downtown for a while. I think this was was not uh, was a little bit different, and um, I think they'll get it figured out. You know, and yeah, and I will say, conservatory has turned over all of its original vendors except Elboro and the Bull. You know, concepts come, concepts go. I think the the Poke Bar just became a Nashville hot chicken place. The you know, it, yeah, it. And and it doesn't it doesn't create quite as much, it doesn't attract quite as much attention. But it didn't, it also didn't talk quite as big a game when it opened. No, and it's smaller. Uh, footprint's a little bit smaller. It, it's much, it's scaled back quite a bit in terms of the development and and the build out. Um, but uh, I have been there on occasion, more than a few occasions, um, for for dinner early and late, and and they they get a pretty good crowd. Yeah, I think conservatory, especially because it's open so late, right? It's open till 3 a.m. on the weekends. It makes it more appealing. It ties into the nightlife, you yeah. know, all those bars that are a couple of blocks north of it. That all makes sense to me. It's, it's, if Finn Hall closes a little earlier, it's a little more expensive. I, I just, I haven't quite, I haven't quite found the right, mix at Finn Hall that, that appeals to me. And who knows, they're going to, they're going to get another vendor to replace Mala. Uh, you know, they have a new pizza option in there that replaced Mr. Nice Buy. I haven't tried that yet. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not writing it off. I'm just, I'm skeptical. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think it a little being this early, a little, little bit of warning signs, but at the same time, I do think that it will get figured out. All right. That does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our Restaurants of the Week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Matt, for our Restaurants of the Week, I want to talk about two, well, one establishment and one event. So let's start with 2K Izakaya. This is the new restaurant from Mike Tran. He's the owner of a bunch of restaurants that people know, including Tiger Den, Maine, own Korean Eatery, Ishin Udon. What am I missing? I'm missing, oh, uh, Night Market Thai. Night Market. Black Dog Coffee, yeah. The Mike's ice a, cream spot that's right. on the other side of Mian. Yeah, Mike's a prolific guy. This is a restaurant he's been talking about for a couple of years. And, uh, well, I mean, you... You, I think this comes up on the show pretty regularly. You travel to Japan frequently. That's fair. How, uh, <laughs> how does, you know, they're trying to capture a vibe. They're trying to, to recreate something. Mike's been to Japan a number of times in the, in the run up to opening, uh, Tukai. What do you, what do you think? how do you do? Just maybe in terms of the atmosphere and kind of the, the experience more than the cuisine. No, yeah, and it's uh it's it's a it's a nice space. It's a nice space. <laughs> yeah, I think they did a good job, right? Yeah. With those those kind of narrow wooden booths, all those weathered looking Japanese signs, the the whiskey lockers that line one of the walls, the the big bar, the the mural above the bar. It, this is I mean this is a very even by his standards of his restaurants are always pretty good looking. This is maybe his best looking restaurant. Um, it uh, well, it, it it has a serious focus on on alcohol. I will say that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, a really lengthy list of spirits. Uh, not really a cocktail menu. I mean, mostly focused on highballs, which seems to me to be correct. Right, they have a, a Suntory Toki tap that mixes the right that that sort of supercarbonates the water to get the right, not just flavor but also texture and mixture of whiskey to soda, along with a, a pretty fancy selection of Japanese whiskey, some priced by the poor, all of it priced by the bottle, none of it cheap, at least by the standards of a place like 
oh, I don't know, Ninja Ramen that that blows through its selection at, at a less expensive cost for whiskey lovers. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, the focus, I think, is on going to the restaurant, having a couple of highballs, and then sort of working your way through a series of small plates and skewers while you do that. What did a you, lot of a lot of small plates and and fewer skewers. Yeah, there's probably what about a dozen skewer options, alongside maybe two dozen hot and cold small plates at least. Yeah. What did you like of what we tried? Um, I liked that. Uh, I'm going to give them uh, a few months, and I'm going to go back. <laughs> you didn't enjoy it. Uh, I, I, you know, I it's it's. Not fair, I, I think, to really. It's been. It was only one visit, um, so before I would offer an opinion, I would. I would need to uh, at least visit one or two more times, and it's their first week. Yeah, right. We went on uh, day three, I think. Yes. I, I mean, I I think there are things that I did like. I mean, I liked those fried chicken skins. I liked the uh, beef skewer that we had. I thought the grilled mushrooms were pretty good. Um, I do think, generally speaking, there was uh, a seasoning issue that that needs to be tweaked, right? A little more salt here, a little less salt there. Um, but I like the, but but I will say that's one of the things about Mike Tran that I really admire is that. You know, Tiger Den was open for a month and then it closed for a couple of weeks to tweak things. Night Market was open for a couple of months and then it closed for a period of time to tweak things. So, you know, he, as a restaurateur, I think kind of understands when things are working and when they're not and is not afraid to make the necessary changes to get where he wants to be. Right, right. And I, and, and for me, I balance that the, uh, uh, as I, as, I've discussed with you, this was a concept that I was very excited about. It's one of the uh, types of, of food that I like to eat um, as much as anything probably right behind tacos. Um, so I, I, I don't want to conflate the, my hopes and dreams and expectations. So it's a little early. Um, you know, I, I I will go back and and uh, give them a little time to get their their feet wet. You know, it's it's not easy to open a restaurant. It's always a reminder. Um, so, what's the one thing that you think would improve the experience for you? Um, just uh, execution and just. You know, little uh, just every those are just a little little miss on everything yeah i think i think the ideas are good i think they've got the maybe the right mix of items i think it's just a question of getting everything kind of dialed in yeah and i i personally again i i would like to see more skewers but that that may be coming um you know getting open and and that uh uh, it's not an easy concept to pull off. Um, right. We have, I mean, other than Izakaya really, I can't think of an authentic style Izakaya, right? Izakaya in Midtown is kind of its own fusion-y thing. Yep. You know, Tiger Den has some Izakaya elements, but right. obviously this is a more focused take on it. Right. So, yeah. We, yeah. Don't, we don't see a lot of this. Yeah, and, and, and again, I think is let's just, Give uh, give them the chance to get open for a little bit. I would expect the menu to change. You may, and even when we were there on day three, they talked about how they were already you know trying some new dishes and um, so so a l- little bit of a TBD for me. All right, and then let's just talk briefly about Southern Smoke. This is the fifth annual version of Chris Shepard's barbecue themed festival. It raised. $573,000 for the Southern Smoke Foundation and the National MS Society. Uh, you were there. I was there. What uh, what were a couple of two or three of your favorite bites? Because, I, I mean, I think it's hard to pick a single favorite, but there was a lot of good food at the festival. There was a lot of good food. 
Uh, it was really well done. Hats off to those guys. That is a lot of money. And uh, as I mentioned to Mr. Shepard, he raised the bar again. Uh, and that's that's a challenge in and of itself. Uh, for me, I thought the food was the best that it's been at any of the festivals. Um, the, there are a couple that, that stood out. The... Uh, the smoked beef shank konji from uh, Maddie Matheson was was pretty outstanding. Yeah, that was really good. I thought, uh, you know, the guys who kind of do what they do, I mean, Pat Martin's, uh, or rather Sam Jones's Carolina-style whole hog, you know, outstanding. I was really pleased with uh, Yehudo Sichels from, uh, from Abe Fisher in Philadelphia, his... Uh, Pastrami sandwich. That was delicious. Really enjoyed that. The guys from New Orleans did a boudin. Uh, Ashley Christensen did that uh, roasted oyster. I mean, really Chris nice. Co- uh, not Chris Costantino, rather. I'm coming to him. Chris Bianco, pizza, unreal. Just, yeah. And and I, I I'm, he's just such a, a great guy. Like he, Yeah, just a good energy. Just a good energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, but, and not that that's unique. I mean, that's that's pretty much the entire festival. Um, but uh, just have had the opportunity to spend a little bit more time with him than maybe some of the other people. And just uh, if uh, if you. So really, yeah, he, uh, he told me he's kind of kicking the tires on the possibility of a Houston location. I didn't know if I was going to bring that up, but. Well, I don't know. I mean, he said it to me. So. No, 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 no. I Yeah. Uh I mean, fingers crossed. At double fingers, triple fingers crossed. I got talk I got, about raising the pizza game. Yeah, fast in a hurry. Uh, on the day it opens, as as I like to tease you with, on the day it opens, it would be the best pizza in Houston. Uh, so, you know, yes, uh, maybe, but it it's in the it, it's it's definitely in the conversation. It's very good. I mean, it's it's and to be able to do that in the elements like that to me still just kind of blows my mind. Yeah, a uh, couple of guys who are in the process of introducing themselves to Houston that I thought made strong first impressions. Chris Costantino, he's about to open Rosalie Italian Soul, whole pig porchetta stuffed with blood sausage. I mean, are you kidding me? That it was impressive to look at. And more impressive to eat. That was that was a really good bite. Um, I uh, also, although I was helping out a little bit at his booth, that uh, crispy picket slider from Aaron Bluedorn was yeah, spot the, on. The former Cafe Blue chef who's working on opening a Houston restaurant. Yeah, I I have never had his food before. I did not make it to the to the ten thousand bites dinner. So yeah, I mean, what a way to introduce yourself. To the city, that that crispy pighead slider was extremely tasty. We'll look forward to having Aaron on the show at some point in the near future. And then the locals represented, I mean, really well. Uh, Horisan with that <laughs> hand roll with uh, bluefin tuna, caviar, and uni. I mean, if you go to, if you order, you can order that at Cotarobata. I traded a couple messages with them that that is available off the menu. And I was like, so what is it like twenty dollars? Like it's market price. I was like, I'm I'm telling you right now, that market price has got to be twenty bucks. Yeah, it was impressive. Uh his line was impressive. Yeah, the second longest other than maybe Aaron Franklin's. It, and and yes, and Franklin's is it's almost its own <laughs> it's like it's such a phenomenon. <laughs> it's it, you know, but essentially people pay hundred and fifty dollars to get VIP access for VIP lounges. Swag bags with cookbooks and the ability to get in line for Aaron Franklin's brisket an hour ahead of most of the other people. And 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 typically your VIP is just for early access. So you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's it's not nothing. But that's an impressive um, valet of gifts, if you will. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I anything else. Uh, you know, I just and, and overall level, but I just uh, again I thought the food was the best that it was this year. It, it and it was kind of a bigger batter, uh, and at the end of the day, it's about raising money, and and they knocked it out of the park. So yeah. 
They raised uh, an epic, and it was really well run. I mean, for for that number of people and that number of spaces, um, it uh, it it's. I mean, yeah, it's impressive. Yeah, congrats to uh, Catherine Lott, Lindsey Brown, Chris Shepard, the whole Underbelly Hospitality team on a on a very impressive uh, fifth annual event, and we'll see we'll see what they do to top it in twenty twenty. I look forward to it. All right. That does it for the restaurants of the week. Matt, thank you very much. Yes, sir. Good to be here. Uh, enjoying the, the view for uh, of, of being in a different room. Yeah. All right. I will be right back with Jack Mason and Jason Egan. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? I am joined this week by... Two members of the Pappas Brothers Steakhouse team. Gentlemen, I'm going to introduce you individually so that people can hear your voices. Jason Egan, General Manager, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. How are y'all? I'm good. Thanks for being here. Jack Mason, sommelier, welcome. Thank you very much, Eric. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for being here. Jack, I understand you just had a baby, so congratulations. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, little baby boy, seven and a half pounds. So. <laughs> Is this your first? It's our second. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Um, gentlemen, I always like to start these interviews kind of at the beginning. So, Jason, why don't I start with you? Kind of, how did you how did you enter the world of, of restaurants? How did you make your way to Pappas Brothers? Well, I'd, I'd worked in restaurants for a while, and then I went to the University of Houston, and I'd worked in some steakhouses. I opened up Sullivan's, and um, and then from there, I've always been had my eye on the steakhouse, uh, Pappas Brothers Steakhouse. That is. And started over there as a server, and then uh, from there I went into the wine as a wine psalm, and um, I wasn't very good at it. So I got I got into operations, and from operations I went um, through um, and worked my way up into the number two role at the steakhouse, and then became a GM for a couple different brands within Papa's, and then came back to uh, the steakhouse for the last six, five six years. So, so you ran like a Papacitos or something, and then like uh, a, a dough, and then Papa's Grill and um, Sugarland, but also Papa Dough. Okay, um, Jack, how about you? I mean, how did you kind of get into the wine world? So, my path was through the back of house. Uh, I started working in restaurants when I was like sixteen, and then I uh, went to the CIF in uh, Hyde Park. And halfway through, there's a very intensive wines course, and uh, I just caught the bug. I fell in love with it, and so uh, that's really what started my path towards uh, the wine side of it. I went to Cornell. I met a master sommelier for the the first time, and I said, man, I want to be like you one day. So uh, that was really the the start of transitioning to the front of house. And my first job was actually at Pappas Brothers Steakhouse as a floor som out of school. So, yeah, long, fun journey. <laughs> so have you been with Pappas Brothers the whole time, or did you kind of – uh, I, I have not. Um, I, uh, after school, uh, made my way, worked uh, for about two and a half years as a floor sommelier at the Westheimer location. And then I moved to New York uh, and worked with Michael White at a couple of his restaurants and then opened a restaurant for Danny Meyer called Marta. Uh, was there for a few years and then made my way back because we were about to have our first child and uh, talked to the powers that be at the steakhouses and said, hey, uh, would you would you have me back? And uh, they willingly did. So <laughs> here I am. It was a long talk. Yeah, it was a long talk. <laughs> a lot of negotiation. A lot of a lot of rules. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Jack, I know. I know most of, of your. I know most of your wine colleagues, the Pappas Brothers, are very credentialed. What it, what level of certification do you hold? I am a master sommelier. Yeah, I, and I guess that's kind of where I wanted to to dive in because. You employ three master sommeliers? Yeah, so there are three within the group. Um, Stephen, who's the wine director of the Westheimer location, Barbara Worley up in Dallas, who's the wine director up there, and then uh, myself, I kind of float between the three restaurants. So, I mean, most most restaurant groups like like usually have one master sommelier for the entire – what. What is the benefit of having three? Like, how does that enhance the the customer experience at Pappas Brothers? Well, you know, 
it it's transcending just you know knowledge and the craziness that you see on all of the TV shows and those sorts of things. It's you know it's connections and and relationships and ability to translate that for the benefit of the guests, but also um, benefit of our team members and just kind of you know all the boats rising with the tide. So we're really uh, it's it's a lot of fun uh, getting to work side by side with fellow master assembly colleagues and um, just kind of drive the culture of the restaurants forward because we thankfully have ownership that is really invested into us and that's the only reason we could have three in the first place but um, it just really interested in not today not tomorrow but the long-term uh, vision of what these restaurants will be so yeah I mean Jason I mean, I think being the general manager of any restaurant is a complicated position, but Pappas Brothers, I think, maybe more so than most because you guys don't really outsource anything, right? I mean, I mean, just talk about kind of some of the things you you do at the restaurant that are no, it's different very, than what other how other steakhouses operate. Well, in, in our organization, purely, we're very, very vertically integrated in the sense that <clears throat> even, even to my landscaping, if I want to go to, back to our landscaping group, which is a Pappas landscaping group, and we talk about what the facility looks like or get a change, it happens immediately, and it happens with the, the amount of care that we take with our guests. So they take care of us just the way that we take care of our guests, even all the way down to the service. We have uh, service guys that meet us every day to ensure that our facilities are in good shape and um, if there ever was an issue, it would be the fact that we didn't get some fix something in time and to the right spec. So um, every bit of that is through um, it, all the way down to our laundry. We do all of our laundry in, in house. We do all the pressing. We press all of that there, so that if there was an issue or we were so far, we go back to our people and we teach and and make sure it, um, the accountability is done um, all the way throughout. So. That is, is, is extremely helpful in keeping those, you know, having those resources for us to be very successful. It's actually one of the keys to our success. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, you know, there's, there's dozens of papacitos, there's dozens of papados, there's Pappas barbecue all over. I mean, there are three Pappas Brothers steakhouses, right? What is it like to kind of, do you feel kind of the weight of being the, I mean, for, not to not to be all askissy about it, but kind of the, the the crown jewel in in a what's a pretty big empire. No, I'm. There's a responsibility. I don't know if there's, there's a major weight. What's one really one thing that's very good about our ownership and Harris and and Chris is that they give us everything that we need, and they do a very good job of removing any excuses of why we wouldn't be able to do what we need to do. And so there's really not in the sense that there's a weight because of all those resources. It makes our job, you know, very transparent or we know at least we have it's very well lit and we know the direction we're going and everybody's in lock and step so i don't necessarily feel a, a weight i do feel an obligation to make sure that it happens because we've been given so much mm-hmm. jack let me let me talk to you a little bit about the wine selection because obviously you know california cab you know french bordeaux or french uh, right french red wines i mean uh but like you have like a professional curiosity about all aspects of wine. You've been trained in all aspects of wine. Like what are you, do you just kind of give in to what the guest wants or are you trying to kind of guide people to stuff that maybe they wouldn't typically encounter or consider when they're eating at a steakhouse? Well, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, we want to give the guest what they want. And if they want an experience, we're there for them. And if they want to just pick the bottle that they know that they love, then we're there for that, too. But you're you're not going to shame anybody for for going for the stag sleep, I guess. No, exactly. And, you know, those things keep our lights on. So, you know, we 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 like to have fun and we're in a very unique situation, um, again, with ownership that believes in us and with resources that, you know, we're building uh, something that's not, we're not always thinking about uh, tonight's service. We're thinking about make sure we have this bottle five years from now, you know? And so um, it's been really cool to be a part of this journey, you know, that's been had built on a lot of shoulders of some really tall giants, you know, and get to work uh, and continue that vision uh, through all three of the restaurants. So uh, it's an incredibly unique place um, that really trusts and puts the resources into a wine program of that. And I think we have a, a, a culture in, sales, in, in the sales piece about really 
getting that guess what they want, but also offering them something that they might not know that they love and really in the recommendation. But every bit of it is to build a relationship that's long term. And I think if you if you if you if you don't consider that you burn it and you won't be something a, a restaurant that's been around for 25 years like we have. Right. Well, let me so let me ask you about that, because, you know, there's a lot of steakhouses, both downtown and kind of in what we'll call the extended gallery area where uh, where the Westheimer location is. How do you differentiate? I mean, everybody's serving kind of, you know, prime beef cooked, medium rare, cream spinach, shrimp cocktail. What are what are some of the ways you sort of set yourself apart? Well, and one is in the product for sure. We can still do that in the dry aging process and what we do. And, and all that's a little proprietary. We think we can do it at a very high level. And we've been working with it for a long time. So we have a lot of historical you know, experience that goes along with that. But our number one most competitive is our uh, edge, I think, when we look for that, is in our people. And the, um, the amount of time that we spend and relationships that we spend with our, with our staff and growing them and being able to build upon that absolutely translates to our guests because the longer that we have with them, the more that we can teach and the more our culture becomes, you know, you know, alive and really uh, tangible and you actually see it as you walk in the building. And I think that you notice that when the way that we interact with our guests and that comes from the way that we interact with our staff. So that just is a continuum of, of our relationship with our, with our staff. It moves into the, between the fork and the knife. And I think that that has been something that we have um, had a real blue-collar effort whenever we've gone to do this. And we work in a fine dining industry, but it comes from a lot of hard work and just working and building those relationships and education and continuing education with, you know, with the intellectual property that we have and the people that we've, we've that we've grown, we really try to leverage that and put it back into our staff and it, and it challenges them and they feel the job fulfillment comes from that because it's not just a job and no one's allowed to be in that building and just have it as a job. They all have to be contributing at a high level and walk away feeling like they've been accomplished. So that's, that's something that as, as, as a culture, we've really built upon it and everybody holds each other accountable regardless of your position. So there's no real bosses running around. We just have a different position in leadership and, and everybody, everybody knows their role and everybody is very critical of themselves when we, when we fall short and we own it and we make a mistake and we get better for it the next day. And we just do that every single time. So a lot of times we think it's some kind of, um, you know, this, you know, uh, more of a you know, magical thing, but really it's a lot of just, um, like I said, blue collar effort every day and working towards that. And that's where, where we've gotten to where we are right now. I do. I, I, you, you said something and you, and you, you were making a larger point. So you kind of brushed over it, but I mean, you do all your own dry aging. I right. mean, there's, there's very few other restaurants in town that, that kind of take that, take that on. I mean, what, I, without getting into like the, the technical aspects right. of, of how long and at what temperature and all, but like, what's it like to kind of keep track of all that or, or to, to mean, manage it? It, it, it is, it, there's a little bit, there's, you know, there's math, there's science, and then there's some instinct in there that you're, you're going with and, and looking at that, you know, a cow is, is different. And we've, we've gone all the way up to A&M and, and worked with the cows up there before and gone to a class and seen how, and, and at the end, see how different what an, one animal looks like and when it's all said and done, and when it comes to an end user, the steak, how different they are. And so as you're butchering those and working through that, you are dealing with some different product. It's not all a steak is a steak. And, um, and we have, we played around with some different aging processes on there. We've gone a little longer on there, told the, uh, the guest about it and, and showed them that we've gone a little bit longer on it, uh, and had that ability and flexibility to do that. Um, but you have to project out what your business is going to be and say, a month, two months, so that you know you have that age to go on to, to be there because it is a part of your brand to have a certain flavor profile that comes from that dry aging of that prime beef, which, you know, I've tried a lot of uh, designer brands and we've done a lot of designers, different, you know, uh, ranches and styles of beef, all the way to Japanese beef, but I think nothing beats our just dry aged ribeye and strip. Um, is really a, what we build is a cornerstone of our, of our brand. Yeah. I mean, classic corn fed American right. beef. I mean, so I know you guys may offer like a little domestic Wagyu or occasional Japanese product, but we do. And they're great. Yeah. But that's never going to be the focus. 
Right. It's not. It's it, it's not our focus, and and we've really tried to add a lot of different fare in there so that you can come in and you're not just I'm coming to eat steak, but I can I can have a variety of steak. Right. It's just like if you were sushi and you had different fish um, species and you had different things, and I can eat sushi a lot because I can have variety. Well, you can come into ours and have a lot of different proteins, a lot of different red proteins that you can do and not feel like um, like you've had the same meal over and over. And that's in a steakhouse. That was the challenge. And doing that, and I think we've really met that challenge in bringing some of those other um, uh, ranches and, and, and styles and different dry ages and different ways of, of bringing something to that guest and saying that this is a, a, a little more unique. But, but at the end of the day, like most people are ordering a filet or ribeye, right? That's our, our number one, you know, our, our most ordered are definitely filet, strip, and ribeye. Yeah. Those are, I mean, those are the... The, the, the three steaks that, um, that, that we sell the most of every day. And it's probably the, of the, if I'm going out to eat, those are the, of those three, I'm going to pick from those three too. Well, well yeah, I mean, I, I do too. Right. I mean, no, no snobbery on my part, right? If it's, it's pretty much going to be strip or ribeye, it's almost never going to be filet because I, I, right. I don't get filet, but, but that's fine. Um, Jack, let me, let me bring this back to you. I, I mean, I think one of the, Price-wise, like what what should people sort of be expecting to spend when they come in on a on a bottle of wine? I mean, you guys obviously you you can go, you know you you can you can buy a, a an economy car for for what some of the bottles in your cellar cost, but absolutely, but but typically like where where are kind of the sweet spots? Do you feel like? Well, you know, with being uh, with able to have the depth and the variety that we have, you could come in and get pretty much any price point you want and have multiple selections uh, that you want. You know, right now I think the Westheimer list is 180 pages, so there's a ton of wine to choose from. And, you know, we do get that kind of, oh, well, this seems to be expensive, but, you know, I think as people communicate what they want and what they look for, we have an incredible staff of sommeliers at each of the restaurants that can help guide you to those different uh, price points because, yeah, there are some $18,000 bottles on the list, but there's also a ton of $60, $70 bottles that – you know, that's what I spend when I go out to eat, you know, just something to have a great bottle of wine for a great night out. You know, you don't have to spend uh, an economy car price point to have a great time and have a great bottle of wine. And then do you do you feel any like competitive price pressure from some of the restaurants that are charging like a an almost retail markup or are you guys sort of immune from all that? I think, um, you know, just part of the brand and the idea of the, the price point of the restaurant that, you know, it's just not our concept. It's not our brand. That's not, you know, someone doesn't walk into a steakhouse necessarily always thinking about that kind of a model. You know, I think as um, you have a younger, newer, hipper restaurant, you know, we are very classic, you know, and that sort of a thing. And uh, the, the new school kind of methodology follows that a little bit more. But, yeah, we've... Uh, we're a classic Texas steakhouse, and so that's kind of what... I, I think when you really want to find the value in wine, and I think it's the best use of when you have a great team like we do, because we talked about accreditations and where everybody was, but not only is Jack the master salmon, we have Stephen at Works the Floor, which is pretty rare that he works the floor every day and really has relationships in there. But also, every one of our other psalms are all advanced. So, and they're all trying, and most of them are all on, you know, are getting close to taking their exam, or if they're not already taking the, the master's exam. When you want to try to find value in, in our program, I think you, you communicate with the psalm and tell them what you want. And sometimes I think people prevent themselves from saying what price point they want. But if I want to find a value, I go to Jack, and, and there's rarely a time that I've ever picked a wine myself off our list anyway without talking, consulting with them. And I would go to them and say, what price point I want to be at? And that's where you find a value and say, just now go try to find something. And these guys will really geek out about it and go find you something that is off the beaten path. And that's where you find the value on our list. Yeah. You find it in the people that you're going to interact with and you get the story, you get the full uh, explanation and they'll find something that you're not going to be able to find at every day retail shop around um, Houston. Right. I, I, I mean, I think, I think that is a major component of value, right? Guide me to something that I've, I've never had before. You know, if, and if I say, you know, I want a lightly tannic, light bodied red wine, I don't want to spend more than about 80 bucks. You know, I, I definitely want, want choices. And, and, but then I'm, 
I'm that consumer, right? If if a server reads me a bunch of specials, I'm going to immediately go, and how much is that, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So I and I just think it's one of those like kind of like you know kind of weird like Puritan things where we don't like to talk about money in public. It, it's like sometimes you just have to talk about money, right? You totally you, right. Ask how much the steak costs. Talk about the price of the bottle of wine. You know, have that open and honest dialogue with the people that are serving you. And then nobody like, and then everybody's on the same page and nobody leaves feeling cheated. Well, a lot of times, a little secret is a lot of times you're maybe in a business meeting, maybe you don't want to have that dialogue because it really is not appropriate. But what a great way to do it is open up that list and say, I'd love to be in this range and then point your finger over to that and never say the word. And he sees that. And these guys work with them every single I say that these guys, Lindsay, every, all the, everybody in the group works with it every day. If you do that, they know those nuances and they understand why you're doing that. And they're not going to make it verbalize that because they understand what right. goes on at look, that right. dinner. You don't want to look time. bad in front of a client. Right. Right. Or, right. right. We understand what it is. And we want you to walk away feeling that we're an advocate for you. We're on your side and we're here to help help make this happen at the dining room table and make whatever conversation is going to happen at that deal closing, whatever it is that happens at that table. We're here to, to aid in that. We're not here to impede on it for sure. Right. And and I mean, that's a that's an important function of the restaurant that, that we haven't discussed yet. I mean, you, you have a place sort of in, in the Pappas restaurant group you also have a place in people's lives. I mean, business, business deals, anniversaries, birthdays. I mean, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm sure you have a group of regulars that eat there probably a couple times a month, but like you're a special occasion restaurant for most people. Yeah, sure. And, and what is that? I mean, does that kind of keep you on your toes a little bit? Absolutely. It does. I mean, you know, not only does that, our price point dictates that we have to have everything right all the time. And, and, and then for, and then as you add the weight of the experience and what the weight of the moment is, anniversary or whatever, or birthday or whatever reason that they chose to gather eight of their friends, convince eight of their friends to come to your place, because at that point they're marketing for you. Right. And they, and they have their name on it because they've recommended it. So there's a ton of weight on that. And so we just play up all the time and we make sure that we're on and we're present all the time. And if we and if we do that, and we're always trying to exceed and listen and listen for that opportunity, what motivates that guest for that time? When can we bring a resource or something to that table that lets them know that we're listening, and lets them know that that we appreciate and we're happy that they're here? Um, and it, we don't play the numbers game. We play the table by table and that and that re- relationship by each person um, that walks in that building because it's a busy restaurant. But I want you to feel like you're the only one in it. Yeah, I yeah, I mean it's it's what like 300 seats. It's a little more than that. Yeah. It depends on the configuration, but more than that. And I could do on you know on any given night, you could we could do up to you know easily 500. It won't feel we'll we'll feel good about it. You know, going through the dining room dining experience. Um, yeah, I. Oh, there is there is sort of one other, right? I, I talked about you know always more steakhouses. Um, they seem to get a little like. Buzzier, a little more Vegasy. I mean, I'm, I won't, I won't, uh, name I won't name names with you here in the room with me. But I mean, do you kind of keep an eye on the competition? Do you, uh, or or where do you, or or I'll put it to you like this: what What is the role of kind of the classic American steakhouse in this moment when there are other restaurateurs, other restaurant groups that are that are kind of playing with the form and and maybe changing things up a little bit? Yes, we. The answer is yes. Do we watch we watch what everybody else is doing? We do. Um, sometimes it may make us pause and say, think about us. For the most part, ninety percent of what got us here is what we're going to continue to do because consistency is sexy to us, right? And that's kind of that's what you know when people are thinking about it, doing neat new tricks. We like to say we like to be able to repeat a success over and over and over. And that to us is what we call success. So I, I, you know, I appreciate, I can appreciate more, um, more competition, more people. I, I, I welcome it. I think it's great for the city of Houston. I think it's great for people to go out there and try different things. I'm going to continue to strive every day and work on every single guest in the building and, and try to gain or, or, or keep my, my guest count and keep who I have coming into the building. Um, so that's, that's what we'll focus on. We'll focus on, but we do, we do pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, 
it, it's really it's kind of interesting watching it. You know, um, having people from out of state or whatever who've never interacted with Pappas Brothers Steakhouse before, their response to the space and what the restaurant is, they're like wow, this is like a moment in time, you know, like it, it's something that was old, but it's becoming kind of new again. And I think it's just that classic through line of, you know, like a really classy piece of clothing that, you know, may go out of fashion now, but in five, 10 years, it'll be the new hottest thing again. It's just, it's one of those just going to keep chugging along and be, it's a really special place. So when the end of the day, when you're done, and you're walking out that door and you feel like, man, I just spent that money and it was a, it was so worth it. That's what we strive for in every one of our guests' internal conversation in their head. When they're walking out that door that, man, that was worth it. And, and when you look at what, that, what, that, what, that, what their contribution is, I need to be above that to be a, a value. I need to match that guest contribution and be above that to show value. So that's something that we work at every single day to do it. And I don't think that you can build any new building or any new type of music or anything else. If you don't have that in this, in this market, you're, you're not going to be competitive. All right. Give me, give me one tip. What is a, what is the non-steak entree on the Pappas brothers menu that, that people don't order enough? What, what's your favorite? Lamb. Lamb, the, the the Colorado lamb is uh, is is great, and I, and we are we do bring more fish in. I love the new brands. I love yeah, Branzino, and you know I I love that. Um, but uh, as far as I, I know, I'm staying red meat. But I, the the lamb is it's probably one of my more ordered items whenever I do. All right, order. Jack. How about what what is the thing we we should be drinking with wine instead of the stuff that we usually drink with wine? Uh, with steak you mean? Or? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, yes. <laughs> Excuse me. It was a well, late, I like to drink more wine with my wine. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no. People uh, people usually order California cabs or, or maybe a French. Well, a French you know, it, it's really again, it's like getting that hack, figuring out the price point. But you know, going to more modern places of like Portugal and Spain and uh, southern Italy, you're seeing really a. Re- a renaissance of these really old vines you get a lot of value in these wines and they can offer similar flavor profiles at a much more affordable price point to maybe what you normally like to drink so ask your some you know there's a lot of fun stuff around the world that you know with wine becoming as popular as is it makes sense for people to start making wines in kind of out there regions and they're incredible Right. And one of the things that we really strive to also do is make sure that we have three to four of, of, of these experts on the floor at all times so that whenever you do ask the question, you're going to get the expounded answer and really spend time with you to be able to walk you through whatever that is. And so ask of their time. That's what they're there for. It's, it's the resource. We, we, we've done it on purpose, you know? Yeah. Well, all right, gentlemen, that brings me to the end of my questions, unless there's some aspect of this restaurant that you want to discuss Not at this point. I mean, I think we've we've covered a lot of it, and um, we get we appreciate the opportunity to even talk about it. Well, I I'm impressed that you're here. I mean, you guys don't you don't do a ton of press, so it's it's actually it's it's fun for me. I mean, I've been eating, I've been eating. I don't. know, When did the steakhouse open? Like the mid nineties, ninety five. Yeah, yeah. I've probably been eating there basically for that entire time, <laughs> and and not That's awesome. Not like not even I'd say maybe once a year, give or take. You know, but not not all the time. But, you know, I am a, I mean, I grew up in Houston, you know, I've been eating at Papacito since I was probably eight or nine years mm-hmm. old. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Pappas Burgers right down the street from our office. That's, that's in the lunch rotation. So, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm a, I'm a fan of the restaurant group and, and I appreciate this, uh, that you came here today to talk about this. Well, we're happy yeah. to do it. Yeah. Thank you so much, man. All right. So I always wrap these interviews up with something I call the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Jason Egan, what is your favorite cookbook? I'm loving um, Donald Link's uh, cookbook right now. Um, I love all of his food. I love the illustrations in there, and I love I just I love the uh, soulfulness uh, soulfulness of his cooking. Yeah, he served a killer boudin link at yeah. Seven Smoke. Uh, yeah, this weekend. Uh, Jack, how about you? A professional chef from the CIA. I- my go-to resource for everything. <laughs> Jack, what's the first band you ever saw in concert? Oh man. I, okay. Embarrassingly enough, it was the Dixie chicks <laughs> in college station, Texas. <laughs> Very nice. My, mine was Eurasia at the, um, at, uh, uh, Astroworld. 
Yeah. That's, that's a good answer. Yeah. Astro World. Uh, <laughs> Jack, who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Oh, goodness. Uh, I don't watch a lot of sports, but uh, I think Altuve is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, Jason, how about you? Man, you you can't not love J.J. Watt for everything he's done for the city, not only just for sports, but everything else he's done. He's, that's a no-brainer. Absolutely. Jason, what is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Oh, man. Man. Maybe it's a junior bacon cheeseburger at Wendy's. It's just the right ratio of everything, and I don't get it very often, but that's got, I think that's got to be it, the yeah. junior bacon cheeseburger. Jack, how about you? Oh, what a burger for sure. <laughs> what do you get? Even what do now? I get? A cheeseburger with jalapenos. <laughs> so good. <laughs> All right, and then finally, Jack, when you go to a pizzeria for the first time, what's your order? What's your what's your pizza go to? Well, uh, you know, something we talked about opening a pizza restaurant in New York was margarita is margarita, always yeah. the focal point. If you can nail a margarita, the rest is probably going to be pretty good. Jason, same for you. Yeah, margarita tells you everything about that. You know, uh, about that establishment. I think it's a, that's the baseline. I've always ordered that. All right. Gentlemen, give us the uh, the website and the social media for Pappas Brothers. So uh, the website is pappasbrothers.com, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I just Pappas Google it and it pops com. up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. And we're happy to do it. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Thank you so right. much. You can follow me on Twitter at eSandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.